Blog Talk Radio. Hey, let's hear it for novelty songs, right? Good morning and welcome to the Bless You Boys podcast for Saturday, January the 31st, 2015. I'm your host, Hookslide, ready to hang out with you for the next half hour or so. Talk about my favorite subject, in the winter at least, Tigers baseball. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to The Madness. The Bless You Boys podcast is a feature of the Bless You Boys website. You can find us on the web at www.blessyouboys.com. You can find us on Twitter at Bless You Boys and also on Facebook if you just search for Bless You Boys. Now, today's episode has been a long time in the making. We had to cancel (laughs) this episode early in January because I got sick. And then we had to cancel it again last week because my laptop got sick. But here we are. We finally made it. Joining me in the virtual studio today is Bless You Boys staff writer, John Urkula. John, how are you doing? Doing great, Hookslide. Great to be here. And I'm glad we uh, were able to make it work. I'm excited to be on the uh, this is the number one Tiger podcast in the Saturday 10 a.m. time slot. So this is, this is a big deal. <laughs> That's right. The only Tiger podcast in the Saturday 10 a.m. Pod- yes, time slot that I know about anyway. So... No, I'm I'm just I'm glad that uh, that you were able to make it that I'm not ill that my laptop is not ill and you know for a while there well, I was thinking the, it might be you you might be the the jinx. Well, I could be the jinx. Yeah, I could be like the uh, Billy Goat in <laughs> Chicago or something. So But yeah, we're here we're ready well, to roll. So yeah. Yeah, if, if an airplane happens to as you said before the show land on my house, then I'll know for sure. It's uh, <laughs> it's all John's fault. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready to go. So I'm properly uh, hydrated. I'm caffeinated. I've stretched. I'm at the height of a PED cycle. I'm ready to go. Oh, <laughs> uh, and you heard it here first, folks. Uh, the Bless You Boys podcast is brought to you by PEDs. Uh, so lots of lots of business going on here in the last couple of weeks, starting with, I think, the biggest news, Max Scherzer signing with the Washington Nationals. Uh, I think we all kind of saw it coming, maybe not that specific team, but you know, I, I think most of Tiger fandom knew that Max was not, uh, you know, coming back to Detroit. But now that it's actually over and done, um, you know, how do you feel about that, John? Well, boy, you know, it's, it's something. Uh, when you're talking to me about Max Scherzer, you're not going to get the um, cold-hearted, uh, dispassionate analysis. Uh, a guy my age probably shouldn't have a favorite Tiger, <laughs> but Max Scherzer <laughs> was my favorite Tiger. And uh, so it's kind of sad to see him go. Uh, I thought for a long time that, you know, uh, the Tigers would get back into it and make one more run at it. But, you know, as you said, I think a lot of people did see it coming. Uh, The word came out uh, after the signing that Mike Gillich sort of disengaged a little bit after Max turned him down last fall, or excuse me, last spring. And I can see that. I can see why that would happen. I mean, they offered him a ton of cash. <laughs> and, uh, right, you know, right. if, if that wasn't enough and they wanted to move on, 
Uh, I can see how that goes. Uh, but I've been a master of defense like a for a long time. Deal, didn't it? I mean, what, what they were offering him, the six years, $144 million, I think it was. I mean, to, to me, that seemed like a reasonable deal. I mean, oh, obviously, he was able to get quite a bit more, but... You can't scoff at it. I mean, they they, they made a, they put a legitimate big-time offer on the table. I think mean, Dombrowski called it a record turndown at the time. And uh, But obviously, Max and Scott Boris made the right gambles. I mean, they got $210 million coming down the road at them. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, right. And you, you can't blame you can't blame Scherzer. I mean, most players uh, only get one bite at the free agent apple while, while they're in their prime. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, Max is the kind of guy uh, you can tell there's a business aspect to what he does. And, and there you go. Uh, he made the right call. And I think he's gonna do great. In, I think he's gonna do great in Washington. I think that uh, you know, all long-term contracts for pitchers are dicey. I mean. So you can see why the Tigers going over to the National League, pitching the pitchers. Uh, I think yeah. Scherzer is really going to do a good job. And I, I, I think when you look at the parameters of that contract, I mean, the massive signing bonus and so on, but with the money that's in the game and with Max Scherzer's reliability, I, I think Washington made a great signing there. Hmm. Hmm. So you're on board with that contract. Now, my question for you is, you know, you, you talk about being kind of emotionally attached. He was your favorite Tiger. So I guess this will tell me more about you as a person. How do you handle the breakup when Max goes over to Washington? Do you do you wish him well, hope he, you know, wins the Cy Young and beats out Kershaw, or do you hope his arm falls off, you know, before the yeah. first game? <laughs> I'm definitely where, not. Where do you fall on that spectrum? I'm not a he's dead to me now kind of guy. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I know there are fans who are like that, but you no, know, I've been actually. Here's the thing. Uh, going, I'm trying to make this kind of short, but I've been following Max in some respects um, since he was at Missouri. Uh, I'm one of the uh, four dozen people in the country who are college baseball fans. Uh, I follow a little bit of college baseball. We're a very small group. Uh, you know, we have a we have a membership card. We have a secret handshake. We're kind of like the Freemasons or something, uh, <laughs> secret society. Yeah, we get together at the College World Series and you know sacrifice a soccer fan or something or whatever we do. But <laughs> it's, uh, so I, I know, I've been aware of Max for a long time since he was there uh, at Missouri. Uh, followed him when he was at Diamondbacks because my in-laws all live out in Arizona, and I actually saw him pitch uh, when he was at Diamondbacks. I'm probably one of very few Tiger fans who can say that. So when the Tigers got him in that trade, I was pretty excited. I mean, I thought he was a big-time talent. And uh, to watch the maturation process over the last few years uh, as he built up to a Cy Young Award winner uh, was really a lot of fun. So, yeah, to see him go, again, um, just from the fan part of me, very sad about it. Um, In terms of if you wanted to be more of a ruthless, cold-hearted analysis of it, uh, you can see why pay him that money and not take on a seven-year commitment. Um, mm-hmm. But I just think that the team itself is going to have some growing pains now that he's gone. I think that uh, uh, with Scherzer and Porcello gone, I mean, those are two guys who you could put money in the bank that they were going to take the ball 32 times a year. And right. uh, that's not going to be that easy to replace. I think there are going to be some hiccups along, along the line this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would agree in that the Tigers are definitely uh, sort of uh, settling, you know, that rotation. Growing pains is, is a good word that you used there, I think. Um, one, one last question about Scherzer before we kind of shift gears and go to the next topic. But uh, in your opinion, are, are you thinking 
that uh, 2013 Cy Young year was kind of the, the peak, and he'll he's on you know begin the inevitable decline now. Or you, you think some of his best years are still ahead of him? I, you know, here's the thing, Max. Not you know, Justin Verlander's success, for instance, a lot of his success, not all, but a lot of his success was built on being up at 98, 99, 100 miles an hour. Um, and now that he's lost some of that, we've seen Verlander take a bit of a step back, and some of that's due to injury. Uh, I don't know if he's ever getting back there. Um, Scherzer, in my opinion, he's sitting more around 94, 95 when he's at his best, and he's getting a lot of swing and misses with his changeup and curveball. Uh, my hunch, and again, I'm not a pitching coach, I'm not a scout, so what do I know? But my hunch is that he can stay at that 93 to 95 rate for a while. And I think moving to the National League, which is still a slightly easier league, and you, like I said, you're pitching to pitchers at, you know, once every time through the order. I think Scherzer, for the first three, four years of this deal, is going to be a really good pitcher. I, you know, obviously, a, a pitcher can walk off the mound clutching their elbow any day. I mean, that could happen the first day of spring right. training, as we know. But, uh, again, his track record has been solid. He takes the ball 32 times a year. So uh, I think he's going to do great. And I, I think most of us wish him the best of luck while he's doing it, it's just as long as it doesn't impact the Tigers. You know, I said on Twitter That's that right. the, uh, the the ultimate payoff oh, yeah. would be to go against the Nationals in the in the World Series and watch Justin Verlander outduel Max Scherzer, so we could all kind of feel oh, like. Yeah. You know, no question. I hope that would I be... hope they take him if they if they face him then. That'd be great. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Which kind of leads us to the next you know natural subject, as we said. You know, the, the, the rotation seems to be in a little bit of. A, it's a question mark. You know, there's there's a couple names, Alfredo Simon and uh, Shane Green, that, you know, we're not quite sure how they're going to perform. So th- there's this sort of, uh, you know, maybe natural curiosity about saying, should, you know, should the Tigers go after big game James, James Shields, you know, still out there uh, on the marketplace? Um, is that somebody that you think we ought to be going after? Well, I think that, put it this way, if you put me on a spot and say yes or no, I'm probably going to say no. But, Okay. Uh, with that said, the longer he, he kind of lingers on the market, it sounds like anyway from, from some of the speculation that you see from some of the usual suspects like John Heyman or John Paul Morrissey or whoever, is that his price tag has dropped a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think some people are speculating that you know he could be had on a four-year deal for, I don't know, 70, 80 million bucks. And uh, it's kind of funny to talk about those kind of numbers and say, well, that's kind of a bargain. But in the world of baseball, yeah. that's not so bad. Um, so I think the farther his price drops, I think more teams are going to come into it, and there's no reason why the Tigers at least wouldn't scope out the situation because he's a solid pitcher. Um, I think that overall, I think he's more good than great. Uh, I don't see him as a top of the rotation guy. I I, I think he has a he's better than you know the quote unquote innings eater. He's better than that, but I also don't think he's a number one. Um, so if you're getting him at money that, you know, you pay your second and third starter, I can see that. Uh, he also cost the Tigers a draft pick if they were to sign him. And that's kind of costly. No, I mean, true. we've seen all the, we've seen all the minor league rankings for the Tigers that they have a, uh, a very low rated farm system. Um, especially this year, cause they've traded off all their guys and some yeah. trades that I would call dubious at best. Uh, <laughs> but that's fine. Now that's another topic for a different podcast probably, but, uh, right. So, you know, Shields is 33. You know, how many yeah. good years has he got left? I mean, when you're looking at Scherzer, Scherzer's 30. 
Uh, Shields right. is 33, so you're signing for those age 33 to 37 seasons. Uh, you always had great defenses and pitchers' parks to pitch in. Um, you know, the Tigers, they've upgraded their defense a little bit, but it's probably not to the level of what Shields has had behind him previously. So I, I just have no, some I mean, questions on how effective he'll be. Yeah, it's one thing that certainly stood out to me, at least, when you look at his you know, his, his stats lines at like baseball reference or, or fan graphs. The one thing that I noticed is that at least for the last couple of years, uh, his his uh, FIP, you know, his FIP is is higher, mm-hmm. you know, considerably higher than his ERA. And yeah. you can kind of look at that and say, you know, he he probably has, as you said, you know, Kansas City was amazing uh, defensively. Yeah, especially you know, so it's yes, yes, exactly. So you know, it's just fun to look at his stats and say, you know, uh, Tampa Bay, you know, ERA of three point five two, and then that drops to three point one five as soon as he gets to you know to Kansas City, even though his his FIP stays about the same. And you go, yeah, he he really benefited, I think, from from some superior defense and uh, going to Detroit, where that's not necessarily the case. Uh, you know, that, that might be a little bit of uh, what do you call buyer's remorse? I don't know. If they, if they yeah, I, I just I just think you could recreate uh, James Shields um, with some less expensive options. And uh, uh, again, he's a very good pitcher. I'm not trying to slight James Shields, uh, but um, I would have put this. I would have rather just spent more money and kept Max Scherzer. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that's just how it is. <clears throat> yeah, you raise a good point. A very good point. Um, I was going to ask you something else, and then it completely slipped my mind. How do you how do you like that? This is why we keep notes on the show. Um, yes, this is live podcasting. That's how it goes. It's all good. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's a good time for an ID break anyway. So there it is. Uh, yes, you're listening to the Blushy Boys podcast at blushyboys.com. I'm talking with John Ercola, one of our staff writers. See, I did it again, John. It's, it's Ercola, not Ercola, right? Oh, you know, when you have a funny-looking Finnish name like me, you get used to uh, all kinds of pronunciations and every kind of weird spelling. You almost become immune <laughs> to it. Right. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. So I know we, uh, we talked in the in the weeks leading up to this show and all the rescheduling that we had to do, but we talked a little bit about, um, you know, you wanted to discuss the topic of Brad Osmus, and mm-hmm. in particular, uh, the the issue of him and having to handle maybe some, um, as you call them, big personalities. In the, in the clubhouse this year, I know specifically with the addition of Jonas uh, uh, Cespedes as you know as one uh, one of those big personalities that he's going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to kind of sound you out on that. So um, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. Does first off, I think the question is, does that even matter? Is it's not something that can uh, you know the, the stats heads are going to say you can't quantify it. You know, you can't find it on a stat sheet. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, it's always hard to talk about chemistry and clubhouse culture and environment because, um, you know, I've never been a professional baseball player. I, I'm sitting here in Iowa, okay, uh, reading press reports right. about what happens. So I don't know the day-to-day um, camaraderie that's in the clubhouse and how important that is. Uh, it's probably more important that a pitcher has good control and he's a good guy in the clubhouse, you know, uh, if you're going to rank what's important. But I think that obviously when you're a manager, uh you have there's really two parts of your job, and and Joe Sheehan, who has the Joe Sheehan newsletter, writes for Sports Illustrated. I don't know if you're familiar with Joe, but uh, he always kind of breaks it down. And maybe this is too simple, but there's the three hour part of the job, which is during the game, which is handling the tactics and so on, and then there's the 21 hour part of the job, which is handling the team and the clubhouse and and so on. Um, and I guess there is, there you know, there has to be some balance there. 
for a manager to be successful uh, between the two parts of the job. Uh, mm-hmm. And last year, I think that personally, uh, I wasn't all that awestruck by uh, Osmus's game management. Uh, I think mm-hmm. there were some issues there that I would take question with, yeah. uh, take issue with at times. Um, so then there's the unseen part that will, what goes on in that clubhouse. Uh, and obviously that's a big part of the job. I mean, those guys are together from February through October. Um, you know, you obviously would rather work in a harmonious atmosphere than a, a ugly one. And, you know, mm-hmm. last year, Osmus took over a pretty established clubhouse. I mean, a lot of those players had been there a long time. Um, obviously there were a few right. new faces, but for the most part, it was pretty established. Uh, so those, you know, the, the people in that clubhouse pretty much knew how to work together and what to expect every day. And they kept Gene Lamont around as part of the coaching staff as well from the Leland era. So I think right. Osmus kind of, in some respects, came in on cruise control in terms of having to police his clubhouse. And, you know, because uh, you had big guy, you know, Tory Hunter seems like a clubhouse kind of guy uh, who has sure, a, sure. Pulse, a finger on the pulse that's going on in the clubhouse. And then you had kind of quiet, you know, guys you don't hear a lot about, so you assume at least from, again, from sitting here in Iowa, that they're pretty placid guys in the clubhouse, like a Rick Porcello, like Austin Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, Don Kelly, players like that. I mean, we never heard of anything going on with them in police blot- blotters or, <laughs> or anything like that. So, uh, right. or, you know, that there were clubhouse fights or arguments. And at least if there were, they kept them under wraps. So, mm. you know, I think this year, uh, a lot of those long-time faces are gone. Uh, there's going to be a lot of new people in the clubhouse. So I think that's going to be at least some challenge for Osmus to kind of rebuild the clubhouse culture and integrate new people. Uh, I mean, obviously it's not a complete turnover, but I think Max Scherzer seemed like a clubhouse, good clubhouse guy. Uh, Jabba Chamberlain was always looking like he was having a lot of fun. They were sending him out with the, the lineup every day and that kind of thing. Uh, so right. Coke... It uh, seemed like he kept things loose, and he'll be gone. So it's going to be very, I think, uh, a different test for Brad Osmus. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would rather he learned how to, um, uh, when to pinch run and when to pinch hits for Alex Avila <laughs> or uh, or use some different bullpen strategies. I, I would much rather he get better at that part of his job. But I think that the, uh, the 21-hour part of the job, it's going to be a test for him because – you know, Cespedes, I think some things get overblown. I think that, uh, sure. you know, we, we heard some whispers last year that the Boston coaching staff didn't care for him. Uh, he kind of refuted that a little bit this spring or this winter now. Um, so we'll just have to see. I know this. I mean, he does have seem like he have, has a big personality. And he never kept Oakland from winning. I mean, they won the division his first two years, and they had the best record in baseball before they traded him last year. And they went in the tank after right. he left. <laughs> so, right. um, See, there you go. But, he was, you know, he was the magic. Alfredo Simon. <laughs> exactly. And mm-hmm. then, you know, Alfredo Simon, um, we'll just have to see. I mean, one thing that, that's questionable, I mean, he has that, uh, you know, he's, he's been in jail, you know, although he was let go on that, um, that little mm-hmm. incident, I believe, in the Dominican. Um, he has the lawsuit in Washington, D.C. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I mean, if that's a distraction or not, we have no idea. Uh, but that, the yeah. interesting thing there is, you know, Dave Dombrowski chose to bring that a player in with that baggage attached to him. Now, they say they're comfortable mm-hmm. with it, and that's fine. Um, but, we'll, you know, 
we'll just have to see. I mean, is that going to be something that yeah. rears its head up in July? We don't know. So, uh, yeah. and also with Simon, I, I just, the one big thing on the field I had with Simon was uh, I just happened to be watching a Reds game last year against the Cubs where uh, Araldus Chapman threw at the Cubs and, you know, uh, Anthony Rizzo basically uh, said something to the Reds dugout and, you know, benches emptied. And Alfredo Simon was the guy who was, he was ready to take on the entire Cubs roster by himself. I mean, he, uh, oh, he's so, a big guy. He probably could. He is a big guy. <laughs> he looked really animated. I mean, he looked like he had some temper issues going there. So, uh, you know, and what does that mean for the Tigers and their clubhouse? I have no clue. So I'm, I'm not qualified to say, but I am qualified to wonder. <laughs> so uh, right. you know, how that's <laughs> going right. to go. <clears throat> yeah, and, and I'm, I think I'm with you in saying, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, how some of these things play out. But, you know, far more uh, interesting, I think, you know, at least to me, is is how how is Brad Osmond going to grow and mature and learn from from last year? Will we see some smarter in-game decisions? Because some of that, like you said, was was a little bit questionable. And there may be, uh, you know, even some signs that that is the case. Um, I was just uh, seeing, I think it was from a press release last week, where, where he was saying that he would be open to doing something like batting Alex Avila second in the lineup. And, and that, to me, is a very kind of a, you know, it's, it's a very sabermetric sort of move, you know, in that you're putting mm-hmm. your, your highest on-base percentage guy up there high in the lineup, you know, even though he's not uh, your highest batting average guy. Uh, you know, what, do you, what do you think about that? Uh, not that move specifically, but, you know, do you see Osmus kind of moving more in this, you know, kind of direction this year, being a little more willing to experiment? I hope so. I, I think that, you know, Batting Alex Avila second, I mean, obviously he's going to get a lot of grief about that if he's hitting 215. But I, I, I can see the I can see the merits to it against right-hand pitching. If Avila is performing and you know keeping his on-base percentage, look, I mean, I'm just pulling a number out of the air. Let's say his on-base percentage against righties was about 340 next year, and if he was keeping it to that, that'd be pretty solid. Um, so, but yeah, so the idea that he um, is open to it. I like that. Um, actually, last year, one thing where Osmus I felt, deviated a bit from Jim Leland was he was willing to move some players around in the batting order and uh, get some better matchups here and there. You know, like where Rajay Davis could bat ninth one day, he could bat first the next day. Um, right. He right. moved Austin Jackson around a little bit. Uh, Jim Leland used to be a very set piece with his lineup. I mean, there wasn't a lot of... Uh, uh, derivation from the day-to-day norm. <laughs> so uh, I, right, I think Austin right. is at least open to that type of experimentation. Uh, I do hope that, uh, you know, don't want to make this all about Avila. Um, I'm an Alex Avila fan. I, I think he should be the starting catcher. I, I don't mind that he hits 220 because uh, I think he does a lot of other good things. But I do think there's no excuse almost ever that he faces a left-handed reliever late in the game. Uh, I hate yeah, when right. managers are afraid of pinch hitting for the catcher and being down to one catcher. Uh, I, I think you're missing the boat there uh, in terms of getting a matchup advantage. Uh, so I'm hopeful that James McCann uh, takes a step up this year and not only starts against all left-handed pitchers, especially the good ones like a Chris Sale or whoever, but uh, I think that late in games they need to pinch hit for Avila. Uh, he should never face a left-handed reliever, almost ever. No, that, and I think a lot of our fans would agree with, with you. A lot of our listeners, I should say, in the fan base would agree with you. Uh, there's, you know, definitely kind of a buzz and a, and a, a movement to want you know, want to see what uh, what James McCann can do. 
this year, especially since apparently he tears up left-handed pitching. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, you know, last so, year, I would have loved to have seen more pinch hitting last year in general, but I am willing to say that Dave Dombrowski didn't exactly give Brad Ausmus the greatest bench in the world. So, it wasn't you know, the greatest, uh, was it? <laughs> it was, was a pretty shallow bench when it came right down to it. You look at the the end of you know the ALDS last year, and it comes down to these are your you know these are the last guys on your bench in, in the in the last inning, and it's you know Hernan Perez or you know whoever. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I can give Osmus a slight pass on that. You know, if you if you, it would have been hard to uh, get uh, blood out of the turnip from some of those bench options. Uh, you know, and, and I love Don Kelly. I really did. I was a big Don Kelly fan. I, I actually met yeah. Don Kelly in a coffee shop in Minneapolis. He seemed like a great guy. <laughs> uh, and uh, for many of the Leland years, he was a good bench player because Leland, you know, he, he had a lineup that you weren't going to pinch hit many guys. You weren't going to pitch hit for many of those players. Uh, you know, the right. Peraltas or Maglio or any of those type of guys. You weren't going to pinch hit ever. Uh, but last year, I think the Tigers got caught with their pants down a little bit that, you know, they had a lineup where they could have utilized some bench bats in key spots mm. and gained an advantage right. uh, tactically at times. But they just did not have the guys to go to. So I would hope that uh, Dombrowski sees that and wants to try to build a little deeper bench. And you're not going to have starting players on your bench very often because they'd be off starting somewhere. But uh, I, I think they could find a little more quality uh, to take those last couple of spots, especially with the makeup of this particular team. Right, right. And it seems like that may not be the case going into this year. The bench doesn't necessarily look a lot deeper to me than than before, at least not compared to some other teams, which kind of, you know, we were talking about this before the show too, um, you know, in comparison, in the AL Central right now, the Tigers are still, I think, the favorite. Uh, you know, to win the division yet again. But uh, who do you think is the team to beat in the Central? Yeah, I, I would. You know, if I'm picking here on the last day of January, I, I'd still go with the Tigers. Today's the last day of January, isn't it? I think it is. <laughs> anyway, it is. Um, it is indeed. Yeah, yeah. Pitchers and catchers not far away now. It's pretty awesome. I would say that uh, the Tigers are the favorite. Uh, you know, I, I would peg them uh, probably about an 86, 87 win team right now, uh, the way they, assuming the starting rotation holds up. Uh, but in terms of the rest of the division, um, I saw baseball prospectus uh, yesterday put their thing out, and they had the, the Royals taking a big step back. I still believe that, you know, the Royals, um, with the defense that they have and some of the young pitching uh, if the young pitching holds up, I still think they're the team that, you know, could push into the mid-80s and wins uh, and maybe make a run at 90. Uh, I'm not as big of a believer in the uh, Indians as some people seem to be. Uh, and then, of course, the White Sox. I mean, uh, the White Sox have won the offseason, right? They've made all the big moves and uh, made their splash signings and, and trades. But um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm still not 100% on board. I still see them at 500-ish unless, you know, they get the very – you know, I think there's basically six main acquisitions they made. And I think too many people are thinking, well, all six of those guys are going to perform at an optimal level, and then the White Sox are going to take off. What are the odds of that really happening? I mean, how many many teams bring in a half a dozen guys and all six work out? I mean, to me, I think (laughs) they're going to be – if you want the I actual odds, I think Vegas them. actually put that uh, put them at fourteen to one, something like that. So, 
Okay. Well, you know, that's interesting. I just, uh, I, I think they're going to be lucky if, uh, you know, Jeff Smarja is everything they think he's going to be. Uh, and Melky Cabrera has another big year. And Adam LaRoche has a, has a big season. Because I think he's another guy. He's more good than great. Uh, so I don't know how much better he actually made them. Uh, you know, they signed a couple of good relievers, and that's fine, but I, I'm not a big bullpen guy in terms of how important that is. So those signings, you know, Robertson and uh, Zach Duke, that's fine, but it doesn't really impress me all that much. So we'll see what the White Sox do. I mean, I think they're better, obviously. Um, I think they have that Carlos Rodon, uh, who was probably the most big league-ready college pitcher in baseball last year. Uh, we'll see what they get out of him. And then we'll see what Abreu does. I think that's the big story is, you know, what does Act yes. 2 of Jose Abreu bring? Because he was a great right. he was a great find last year. He assaulted pitching in the first half of I think twenty nine homers. Uh but the, yes, the home runs kind of the home runs dried up in the second half. He still hit great, you know, his slash line was wonderful in the second half. Um but the home runs kind of backed off. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, is he a 25-homer guy or is he a 40-homer guy? And there's a big difference there. Uh, so I'm not, you know, that he's a superstar off of one good year. Uh, we'll see what, you know, now that the advanced scouts kind of tear their teeth into him and the league has seen him more, we'll see what kind of force he is as we go forward. Okay, yep. And I was just looking at the, uh, the one of the odds pages there, you know, one of the Vegas odds shark pages and uh, – Yep, the Tigers are actually at fourteen to one odds to win the World Series, and they're they're, they're the favorite in the Central in that sense. The Chicago White Sox are being given twenty to one odds, and the next closest okay. competitor in the Central would be the Kansas City Royals at twenty-five to one. So, uh, at least in terms of the uh, the bookmakers, they're looking at Chicago, the White Sox as being the you know the Tigers' uh, toughest competition, and it's really not even close. So, uh, well, yeah, you you could be right. I liked the Melky Cabrera signing. That's one signing that, you know, if the Tigers had done that, I've been okay with giving up the first-round draft pick. I, I, I kind of like Melky. Uh, he's an on-base guy. He's a switch hitter. Uh, I think he could have taken a corner outfield job in, in uh, Detroit and done pretty well. Um, you know, instead they were going with Anthony Ghost in center. <laughs> so, um, and, and hopefully he's a hopefully he's a defensive demon and gets on base a little bit. But uh, I think, uh, I would have been fine with Melky as a Tiger, but now he's a White Sox, so we're going to see a lot of him. Uh, uh, and I think that was, to me, that was their best move of the offseason. I think he's going to add a lot to that lineup. And if Abreu is a force, again, having Melky Cabrera on base in front of him quite often, and that, that's going to actually, with Adam Eaton, I think they could be pretty solid at the top of the order. Absolutely. The Chicago White Sox will be a fun team to watch in 2015. But, again, the Tigers are the clear odds favorite, and I think they're going to be even more fun to watch. We're talking Tigers baseball here on the Bless You Boys podcast. You can find us at blessyouboys.com, and I'm talking with uh, John Urko, one of our staff writers. John, before we uh, kind of wrap things up here, um, baseball has a new commissioner in Rob Manfred, and he's already kind of making some, mm. uh, some noise, making some waves with uh, some suggestions, things like uh, getting rid of defensive shifts, and uh, you know, there's a talk of a pitch clock. What do you, what do you, what do you make of this guy? Well, I think that he backtracked off the shift thing a couple days later, and I think that's good. Mm-hmm. I, I would be very opposed to any kind of uh, uh, ban on shifts. Uh, I think that you know, you have your players in the field, and you should be able to play them where you want. And uh, there's ways to beat the shift if you don't like. 
uh, you know, I was having this chat with a friend of mine on another site. Um, you know, he was saying how, you know, other sports change rules all the time, and it's true. But like in basketball, they got rid of goaltending, right? But there's nothing that, you know, if you or I were playing basketball, we can, somebody can swap every shot away from the rim. There's not much we can do about that. So that makes sense hmm. to have a rule, like goaltending. <laughs> so, um, but in baseball, I mean, you, you know, if you line up in a shift, hit the ball the other way, knock a, you know, put a butt down. I mean, there are ways to counteract it. And I think that over time, uh, the league will solve the shifts on its own. That will evolve naturally. Uh, and, you know, I think there will always be some amount of shifting, but I think if players want to beat it, they can beat it. So I don't think you need well, to you know, arbitrarily take that out of the game. No, and I, I mean, with you saying, you know, you, you should not ever make a rule that takes away a team's, you know, defensive strategy. Or, but uh, I, I think what, what it was interesting to me is that that's that's the kind of the headline that got the splash. You know, he wants to ban defensive ships. But to me, what was interesting was the underlying reason behind it, and, and saying basically, well, we we need to inject more offense into yeah. baseball games because there's there's not it's not exciting anymore because they're not teams aren't scoring enough runs. I mean, is that what do you think about that? I mean. It doesn't seem uh, that way to me. I agree. Uh, I, I've, I'm fine with a lower-scoring game. Um, that's not a problem. Uh, although I tend to gravitate toward more of a power. I like the power. I would like to see more of that. I think we've seen a lot of analysis from a lot of quarters, like Lee Panis with his excellent Tigers blog and, and some other places. Uh, Joe Sheen, another guy we talked, mentioned earlier. I think the problem is the strikeouts. And uh, I I think there's an overwhelming number of strikeouts in today's game, and there's not enough balls in play. I think our, our friend, uh, contributor at the BYB site, uh, G. Wilson, uh, Patrick's friend, oh, yeah. uh, he noted that even with all the shifting in 2014, the league-wide BABIP was about the same as it always is. So mm. I don't think the shifts were gobbling up all that many more singles and, and taking, you know, detracting from the game. I just think there are fewer right. balls in play, period, because there's so many strikeouts, and the, the strike zone has gotten pretty big. Uh, all the analysis that I've read over the last few months, it looks like the strike zone's gotten a lot lower and a bit wider, and I think yeah. that's leading to a lot of strikeouts. And I think if you wanted to increase offense and put a little bit more enjoyment in the game of, you know, more balls in play, so we're seeing, you know, more base runners, we're seeing more relay throws, or more plays at the plate or whatnot, because um, you need to get more balls in play. And I think there's, they've basically, if they could tighten up the strike zone a bit, I think we would see a lot of the issues that they perceive are out there kind of dry up. And that could be. I, I just find it ironic that, you know, on the one hand, they're saying, you know, we need more runs, we need more offense, make the game more interesting. But on the other hand, saying we need to also shorten up the game by you know, introducing yeah. a, a pitching clock, you kind of think, well, yeah, the games are going to go a little bit faster if the pitchers are, as you, you know, you're talking about, just striking everybody out. We're getting a lot of you know, one, two, three innings, that kind of thing. It's, it doesn't it make sense that if you inject offense, so to speak, the games are going to take longer? In, in a lot of, yes. I think they're, in order to increase offense and make the game shorter, I think you're really trying to thread the needle there, you know. I think it's possible, I suppose, if they um, keep people in the batter's box and, you know, they get the pitchers to throw, you know, take less time between pitches, although I'm not a huge fan of that pitch clock at all. But if they keep things yeah. moving briskly, I suppose it's possible that they could increase offense and shorten the games. But I think they need to pick one or the other. And 
emphasize on that and try instead of trying to be all things to all people. Uh, yeah, and, maybe. And, uh, and I don't think the game is that broken, to be honest with you. I think the strikeouts. I think they could bring that down. I think that if anything's going to break the game, I think way too many strikeouts is is a is a problem. Um, but hmm. I think too many of our um, initiatives that we hear about are for the casual fan. They want to draw in the casual fan, and that's fine. Um, but I don't think you should alter the game necessarily for the casual fan because I just don't think that bringing the average down from three hours and four minutes down to two hours and 52 minutes is, is going to bring that many more casual fans into the game. So I would hate to see them alter too much just for to chase after that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Well, John, we are just about out of time, but I know you wanted to throw me a big old curveball. You said before the, the show you had a, a, a pop culture question you were going to ask me, but you wouldn't tell me what it was. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting here with bated breath. Well, I know from what I've, I've seen on Twitter that you, as well as I, you're a big Breaking Bad fan. Yes. Right? We, my my yes. wife and I uh, just I, uh, watched it for the first time about uh, over November, December time period. Okay, so I've heard you've enjoyed it. That's great. I, I loved it too. I, I I came on board in about season three or so. So and uh watched the end watched through the end, I loved it. So tomorrow night, the spin off, Better Call Saul. Are you in? Are you out? <laughs> or are you indifferent? What do you think of Better Call Saul? Oh goodness. Um you know, I I'll tell you I I don't know. Um I'm skeptical. Um but I yeah. also I, I when I watched TV shows, I tend to let them play out for a year or two before I ever get involved. Oh, okay. That's just that's just my approach. I usually wait two, three seasons and see if it's going to stick around, if it's any good, what people are saying. And if it is, then then I like to kind of stock up and binge watch you know, a bunch of episodes in a row. I, I hate when I binge watch two seasons and realize I'm caught up and now I have to wait you know, for, for the yeah. live showing. So I, yeah, I, I usually give I gotcha. it a couple of years. Okay. But I'm excited uh, about it. It does. And here's the thing. For the folks who have not watched Breaking Bad, this is probably the, like the worst podcasting moment ever. But <laughs> but if you have, um, you know, Saul Goodman was the comic foil, um, the, the dirtbag lawyer, a uh, real scuzzy guy. And I'm just wondering how they're going to take that from a recurring character who added a lot of life to the show to the show and be, you know, the main guy. And how that's going to play on a week-to-week basis. I think it's going to be kind of. I, I'm, I'm a little leery, but I'm hopeful. All of the wacky hijinks that he'll get up to, I'm sure it'll be a, a crazy story arc. So, well, you can yeah. you can watch the show, John, and then you can uh, you can let us know what what you All think right. of it, and I'll I'll, uh, I'll take your your advice once it goes. Fair enough. Oh goodness. So, uh, any final comments before we wrap it up? Hey, you know, well, one thing I just wanted to. Throw out congratulations to uh, Tom Gage of the Detroit News. Um, he oh, won yeah. the J.G. Uh, Taylor Spink Award um, this year, and he's going to be inducted into the Writers' Wing of the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown this summer. Uh, Tom's a great guy. He's been kind enough to meet me about four times for coffee over the years in Kansas City or Minneapolis. I live about equidistant between the two, uh, so I see the Tigers in KC or Minneapolis a lot. And Tom has met me for coffee a couple times, Great man, good writer, criminally underutilized by the Detroit News, in my opinion. Uh, they should let him write a, his opinion column as well. Um, but just a great writer, and I'm really, I was really happy for him. I thought that was fantastic. 
Awesome. Very, very cool. All right, John. Well, thank you very much for joining me this uh, this morning. I'm uh, yeah. I'm always got, thank- got- I'm always thankful to have. I was going to say, I'm always thankful to have guests in here because uh, it's impossible to run the show by myself. It would be a very, very boring show. So I appreciate you hey, taking the time. Anytime. We got, we got, we got scrappy. We got gritty. We, got, we even got a little gutty. It was, it was. <laughs> we, we, we left nothing on the field today. We left exactly. We left it all. We left it all out on the field. That's right. I left it all all over the podcast studio, man. That's it. This this weekend is over. <laughs> well, John, thanks again for joining us. I hope that you will uh, uh, come back again and uh, absolutely talk some tigers. All right. And that's just about going to do it for us on this episode of the Bless You Boys podcast. Uh, I do want to thank John Urkula again for joining me this morning. Uh, you can find John's writings on the Bless You Boys website. You can also find him on Twitter at Uper underscore IA. It's Y-O-O-P-E-R underscore IA. And be sure to tune in next week. I will hopefully be catching up with Whitecaps play-by-play announcer Ben Chiswick. Uh, you're not going to want to miss that. We're going to be talking about uh, probably some prospects at the, at the Whitecaps level. So definitely uh, mark your calendars for next week at the same time. Uh, talking with Ben Chiswick. So until next week's show, this is Hook Slide saying have a great week, and we will see you next time on the Bless You Boys podcast. There's never been a corner like Michigan and Trumbull. <laughs> That'll get him out of the old ballpark.